Hi, this is Mike Roderick from the podcast Access to Anyone, and you're listening to The Inspiration Place with Miriam Shulman. It's The Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to The Inspiration Place podcast, an art world inside a podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Hey there, this is artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 17 of the Inspiration Place podcast. On today's episode, we're talking all about connecting with people and how relationships will help build your art career. But before I dive into that and introduce today's guest, guess what? I want to hear from you. If you're listening to this live, we're in December 2018. I've been releasing episodes every single week on Tuesdays since I launched this podcast in August 2018. And this year, Christmas and New Year's fall on a Tuesday, which got me thinking that any episode that I release on December 25th or on January 1st should be extra special. December 25th, I am planning a special listener question, and I want to feature your questions. Here's how it's going to work. Go over to shulmanart.com forward slash ask. And there's a button there where you can leave me a voice message. I would love to hear your question. So I have an opportunity to answer it on the show. This also works on your phone. If you have an Apple device, you have to use Safari and it will work on both Chrome and Safari if you have an Android. And I'm pretty sure it works on all desktops. So I can't wait to hear from you. The questions and your messages are going to be part of this bonus week episode. And by the way, if you are listening to this podcast after December 25th, 2018, in other words, you're in 2019, I still may be taking listener questions and adding them to future episodes. So go there to shulmanart.com forward slash ask and leave a message. All right, can't wait to hear from you. And now back to today's interview. Today, I've invited a guest expert in how to build your network, whether that means meeting more artists, gallery directors, members of the press, interior decorators, or social media influencers. In this episode, you'll discover the four myths of success so you can figure out which mindset might be holding you back, what the TCM index is, and how it can help you sell more art or find more time to create it, what the difference is between networkers and connectors and which one you might want to be. And you'll also discover the best way to communicate and also apps that will help you do that. And let me give you a hint, it's not Facebook Messenger. All right. Now back to the show. Today's guest helps thoughtful leaders become thought leaders through the same methodology he used to go from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in just under two years. In addition, he's the founder of ConnectorCon and the host of Access to Anyone, the podcast that teaches you how to meet anyone using time-tested principles and today's tech tools. So please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Michael Roderick. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you took the time. This is going to be a really great conversation. I've learned so much from you. 
especially since I, you know, I've been mentioning to my audience that I'm an introvert. And one of the very first things you taught me was I always have trouble when there's people talking and I feel like I'm kind of outside of that conversation, how to butt in. So what are your tips for butting into the conversation? Sure. So the very first thing is to pay attention to people's feet. So basically, if folks are point, their feet are all pointed towards each other, they're all really engaged in that conversation. They're all like, they want to talk to each other. But if their feet are kind of shifted out a little bit, that means that there's at least one person who's kind of saying, you know, they're not as engaged. So that's the person to go up to and just introduce yourself only to that person as opposed to trying to go into the whole circle. Because if you try to just kind of bust in, a lot of the time, these people, they're all trying to have a conversation and you're like jumping, you're jumping in, you're interrupting them. But if there's somebody who's not that interested or is less interested and you just introduce yourself, a lot of the time that person will bring you into the circle and you'll get to start into that conversation. Okay. So by the way, I've already tried the feet thing. The last two conferences I went to, I was like walking around looking at the ground. <laughs> looking at people's feet. I was like, okay, I can, I got this. So that was really helpful. Just like it was a little thing that I wouldn't have known myself uh, that gave me confidence that I could probably enter that that group of people without being awkward. Well, it's always awkward, but yeah. <laughs> yeah awkward, I mean, it's always right? a challenge to, you know, to based. people you don't know, right? Permission-based yeah. interruption. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. And I promised uh, everyone that we would talk, we would dive into the four myths of success. So mm-hmm. could you explain your framework for that? Like what are the four different uh, mindsetness that we fall trapped to. Sure. Uh, so basically, the way I like to think about it is that it creates a box that you're trapped inside of. And these are four walls of this box. So the first myth is the myth of competition. And the myth of competition is basically that you are believing that you're competing with other people. And the fact of the matter is, None of us are really competing with anybody else because there is no competition. There's only specialization. If you operate in a certain way in the world and people don't like your way of doing things, if you look like somebody's ex, they're like, mm. th- those are factors you cannot control. So a lot of the time we get caught up in this idea that we're competing with people when we're really not. We're just it's kind of like the Tanya Harding myth. Yes. Right. She I love just that. thought if I got Nancy Kerrigan out of the way, <laughs> I, I would win the goal. But meanwhile, that was not the problem. Exactly. Yep. It's totally yeah. That's actually I think that's the very first time in any interview or conversation um that Tanya Harding has been uh, has been brought up. I think probably because that movie came out recently, right? Yeah, well, it's also <laughs> maybe because I'm a little older and I was I was around when that was happening. I had to explain to my kids, do you know the story? <laughs> because this was such a defining moment. Oh, it was that. a crazy, it was a crazy time. Yeah. And, and Nancy Kerrigan was from Rhode Island, where where oh I'm, really? Yeah, yeah. I um, think so also <laughs> Tanya Tanya's from Portland. Oregon, oh. I think, where a lot of my artist friends are from. Oh, interesting. So, but it was definitely a, a class division, and yeah, just the whole idea of well, only we got this person out of the way, but there's always somebody else. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the second myth is the myth of discovery, 
Mm. And the myth of discovery is this belief that somebody finds you. Right. And uh, in the world of artists, it's a, it's a very, very powerful myth because most of the media presents this, this story of somebody randomly finding somebody's work or choosing somebody and saying, okay, now I'm going to put you on Oprah or whatever the, you know, whatever the big like sort of moment is. And as a result, most people have this belief that there's somebody out there (laughs) kind of like looking for them who's going to change their life. And I think a lot of us, this also gets perpetuated because you think, well, if I build enough following on Instagrams, like the influencers on Instagram are going to find me. Or if I spam LinkedIn enough that art directors out there and it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an aspect of you are the architect of your own discovery. Mm. You're the person who is going to make a decision about what you want in the world and you're going to develop the relationships to make it happen. People aren't just going to randomly happen upon you and suddenly it's, it's all going to work out. You have to know what it is that you want and you have to go out there and let people know what it is that you're looking for. And then folks will come to help you and support you, but they have to know that you need support. Most of the time we think, oh, if I just work super, super hard and do really great work, somebody's going to find me. But the fact of the matter is that doesn't really happen. Yeah, and that's that's a, another myth, right? Or- yeah, the, that's that actually ties really well into the third myth, which is uh, the myth of the Deus Ex Machina. And the myth of the Deus Ex Machina is that one thing solves mm. all of your problems. So, if you believe in the myth of the Deus Ex Machina, you believe if I just get this, my entire life will be all set. Right. So it's the classic lottery ticket kind of scenario. Right. If but, I but with us, it. it's like enough Instagram followers or Facebook following, or if I just got into a gallery. That Bingo. Would, well, that's actually a common one because, and I, by the way, I've been in galleries and I had to bring them every art collector that we had, you know, they were yeah. still up to me. I don't know about you, Michael, but one, one thing I like about what your message is that it's still that we have to market like it's 1985. Mm. It's not about spamming the internet. Let's not even use the word spamming. It's not about scaling and the internet. It's still about those one-on-one human touch points that really move the needle. Yeah. It's so important. And it's something that gets forgotten most of the time. And when you start to believe that, just if if I end up you know being promoted in this way, or if I end up getting in this gallery, or whatever the scenario is, then everything's going to be taken care of. Mm. You're really setting yourself up for profound disappointment if that doesn't happen, and that's a real danger just psychologically. If you put all of those eggs in that basket of this is going to be the thing that changes my life. And then right. that thing doesn't happen. You're utterly crushed as a result of that. Right. Definitely. Okay. So we, we're moving around the box. I think yep. we've hit three. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's the fourth myth? So, so the fourth is the myth of stasis. Okay. And stasis has two components to it. The first is this idea that as long as I work harder, as long as I do more, 
that's going to solve the problem. Right. And I often like to refer to it as boxer syndrome uh, <laughs> from the book Animal Farm. Yes. Boxer's answer to everything is I'll work harder, I'll work more hours, but that doesn't solve the problem. That doesn't fix it. And right. what tends to happen when you have that kind of boxer syndrome attitude is you think you need to meet more people or you need more followers or you need to work more hours and all of these different types of things. But the fact of the matter is, it may be that you're working 50, 60 hours at something that is not actually working. So it's looking at the variables and it's trying to figure out, okay, what are the other ways I can do this? What are the other ways I can spend my time? And really testing things as opposed to just thinking, oh, well, if I just do more, if I just get more, that's going to fix everything. It's this like nose to the grindstone kind of attitude and you can burn yourself out without actually getting any results. Completely. And if I just want to like bring this a little more concrete for artists, I've always noticed that for my art shows, the people who show up are the people who I handed the the invitation to in my yoga class that week Mm. or at synagogue that week. So That wasn't about working harder. That was way all the way back to what we're talking about. It's about that one-on-one connection. It was not because I I spent hours on the email or the social media post or my newsletter. It was because I got out of the studio and and talked to human beings. Exactly. Yeah. And then the other side of stasis is what I like to think of as this idea of, I like to refer to it as the myth of made it. Where basically you think that once you hit a certain point, you can just coast. Yes. And you never have to innovate after that. You never have to do anything different after that. And you think like you're just like you're set. And as you know, the way I the way I always look at it is as Blockbuster learned, even if you're at the top of the mountain, you can't stop looking for ways to do things differently. You can't stop thinking about how are you going to continue to improve and continue to learn because there's always some disruption that's going to that that's going to happen. There's always going to be some change to the way that things are being implemented. So it's up to you to not get into that place of oh everything's all set. And to always be open to what are the changes in the industry? What are the opportunities? And be able to be flexible and try new things. Otherwise, you can end up going the way of a lot of these companies that just dug in their heels and said, we're doing it we're going to keep doing this the way we've always done it and end up closing down shop. Yeah. And and just using like the blockbuster as kind of an analogy, what I think of with that whole made it is I always look at different artists who, whatever, they're bigger following me. And I always think, Oh, if I was only as big, I'm making up a name as big as a Lily Rose that I'd be fine. And then the people who think that way, the seduction is to look at what Lily Rose is doing and try to copy that. Mm. So let's just say Blockbusters in its heyday and someone says, I'm going to also open a video rental shop. That's not the thing to do. The thing no. is to <laughs> be a disruptor in your industry because just repeating what somebody else is doing, that's not how you get to the next days. Yeah. When I, when I used to teach, I'd have student teachers and every once in a while I'd get a teacher who would watch me 
and then just kind of come up and imitate me mm. in terms of just the structure, the way that they were teaching the class and all this other stuff. And I remember one of my students one time, I asked this student because this teacher, this student teacher was getting, having a hard time. I was like, why are you guys giving this guy such a hard time? And they said, well, you know, Mr. Router, cause he's a bootleg version of you. <laughs> and, and that has always stuck with me. And it's like, you do not want to be a bootleg version of somebody else. And anytime oh. you try to copy, that's what that is. Although, and this is something we talked about in the very first episode when I had our friend on Jason Van Orden, we talked about finding yeah. your signature style, mm. that something that is is okay, and artists have always done it, it's okay to try on a style mm-hmm. to learn from it and to oh, see as part of your experiment, like what's going to work and what's not going to work. The problem is if you keep doing that and you don't yeah. become an original. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So let's, we have a lot still to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I also promised that we would talk about your TCM index, what that is and how that might be able to help people sell more art or find more time. So what, what does TCM stand for? Sure. It uh, stands for time connections and money. Okay. Uh, And every single person, no matter who you meet has an index of time connections and money. And usually there's a deficit in one of those three things. All right. So if you have a deficit in one of those areas, the answer to solving that deficit is often in the other two. So for example, let's say you're not making as much money as you would like to make. The answer is in how you're spending your time and who you're connected to. Right. Let's so say, let's talk yeah. about the, the gallery opening. Nobody yep. shows up. Mm-hmm. You have gorgeous art, but nobody—not nobody. Let's not—it's too negative. <laughs> not as many people show up as you want. Well, what happened, right? Yeah, you don't have enough connections. Yeah, exactly. Or you didn't spend enough money advertising it. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. So, so the thing is, any time that you're dealing with that challenge, it's always looking at okay, what are those other two things, and and how am I currently how am I currently using them? Because a lot of the time, what tends to happen is that we often waste our time or we trade our time as opposed to investing our time. And when we trade our time, there's only one thing we can be doing during that moment. So we have to know that it's an investment in some capacity. Like We have to know that there is some potential return there. And if we're investing our time, we're trying to create something that hopefully will do things for us even when we're not there. So mm-hmm. making so if you are as an Can artist an example, yeah. 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 If as an artist you take the time to paint something, okay. You're investing you're investing your time because you're gonna create a property okay. that people can that people can purchase. Right. Right? If you're going out there and trying to and trying to sell there's only so many people you can talk to but if you were to invest your time in creating some kind of pamphlet or some kind of website that showcases this information then you're reaching a larger a larger audience as a result of that as opposed to trying to go one to one all the time so it's always looking at where are you spending that time and what kind of return are you getting are you getting on it? 
is it helping you or is it hurting you? And it's about being reflective about that process. That's terrific. Okay. So we're talking about connections. And one thing that you like to point out is there's a difference between someone who is a networker and a connector. Yes. So what is that difference and what do I want to be? Sure. Um, so, Because I ne- want to get an A. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, right? Um, so networkers operate along a horizontal. And basically, they're always introducing people at the same level. They're always trying to get something out of the interaction. So they're very, very reciprocity focused, right? So they're always like, well, I'm going to do this thing for you. You're going to do this thing for me. Uh, they're usually making introductions just to people sort of within the same circles and within the same network. So an example would be if somebody was trying to introduce me to their friend who's also an artist. Yes, exactly. That's a networking kind kind of thing because they're not asking you about what it is that you're looking for. They're making an assumption about who you want to meet. Right. Right? They're not asking you about what your focus is, they're just looking at sort of what you do and making an assumption based on what you do as opposed to who you are. Right. And so even if they were to introduce, let's say they were, they were wanted to introduce me to their friend who's a gallery director, that's really the same thing because they're assuming I want to be in a gallery. Mm-hmm. They would have to talk to me to know, you know what, I'm not really interested in being in a gallery, but maybe I am interested in meeting their friend who's a podcaster like Michael, yeah. right? So, or, or an author. So that's who I'm interested in. So that's the, that's the difference. In, but what, how would that help somebody who is an artist to make introductions or to be a connector? Connectors basically take the time to think about what does the other person need, right? So if you're an artist and you make a connection for somebody and it is a connection that helps them move further in their career, you're top of mind in a way that a networker is not. Because if I'm sending you things that you don't need, I am an annoyance. If I'm sending you things that make your life better, I am an awesome person. I'm an exciting person. I'm a person that you want to spend more time with because I'm thinking about you. And connectors always operate in that sort of vertical kind of mindset. They'll introduce you to people who are slightly above you to help you get to another level. Or in some cases, they'll introduce you to somebody who's slightly below you, but may have a skill or may have something that they can offer you that you don't necessarily have, that you haven't necessarily thought about. And they'll also introduce you to people not in the same industry. So going back to your example, a connector would put you in touch with somebody from a podcast world because they're not just saying, okay, art and, and like that's it. And they're only introducing you to people who sort of apply in that category. They're listening to who you are and they're connecting you to somebody who can really make a difference in what it is that you want and what it is that you're trying to accomplish. That's really powerful. Now, I happen to know that you have a, a very geeky way of keeping track of that. You, <laughs> would you like to share that? Sure, sure. Okay. So I, uh, I use a spreadsheet. And what I do is I have a spreadsheet of all of the people that I'm willing to make introductions for. And in that spreadsheet, I basically have a little blurb about them. I have different columns for different categories. So 
in some cases, there's a, you know, there's a column for where they live. There's a column for notes about that person that have nothing to do with their business. It could be that they have cats that they absolutely love. It could be that their kid just started school at Brown or, you know, any number of these types of things. And because I have that spreadsheet, if somebody says to me, Mike, I'm really looking for somebody to help me with this problem or this project, I can go to that spreadsheet and I can type in a keyword and I can see how many of the people I know fit that particular keyword. So if somebody said, I'm trying to sell something to artists, I could go to that spreadsheet and I could just type in the word artists and I could see every single person that I've met over the past you know, 10 or so years that has artist in their title. Okay. Yeah. Now I actually keep similar notes on people that I meet in, in either they've come to an art fair that I'm exhibiting at or an open studio and I'll keep those notes inside. I mentioned at the top of the hour, the artwork archive, and it's very helpful also once they become a collector to keep track of all these things because in the first, the beginning years when you're selling your art, you think you're going to remember every single thing and down the line, you just don't yep. because first of all, there's too much to remember and none of us are getting any younger. So yeah. So yeah. I always say those things are very helpful for building those kinds of relationships with your collectors. And it really does help with selling art because I'll be able to be very specific. So remember, we also talked about it's not the email blasts that necessarily sell the art. It's those single emails where I might say, John, you bought this sheep and now I have this new pig painting that I think would look good with it. Exactly. Why don't you take a look? Yeah, we love to hear from somebody who has thought about us. We hate to feel like numbers. Yes. And it's, it's one of those things where as human beings, we love to feel useful. We hate yes. to feel used. Yes. So the second that you treat somebody like a number, it's not going to work in terms of growing that relationship. When you're treating them like a person and when you're thinking about them and you're sending them something that really is useful and helpful because you've listened to them, it completely changes the way that you're perceived because we live in a world where there's so many people who just sort of spray and pray right. when it comes to getting their stuff out there and selling. And one advantage of uh, artists you have, either because you're an introvert like me, so you just listen more carefully, or you're just more observant. I always find I have trouble with big, big networking types of events, but my area where I thrive is because I'm a good listener. And I'm at the dinner party. I may be able to be that one person that hears something, and then the next day might follow up. Hey, I heard you. You mentioned that your kid has autism. Here's a therapy I just heard about and send the link to an article. So because we're introverts, we actually have that listening superpower. We may not be the one who says that funny thing in the moment that everyone remembers, but because we're good listeners, we're good at following up later with those kinds of connections. Definitely. Michael, can you describe what you refer to as the one lane method? Yes. Uh, so. In many, many instances, we have so many platforms that we're on. We're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, we're on, some people are on Instagram, some people are on Twitter. 
And as a result, they all have messaging apps, right? So, so we're always getting messages from all of these different channels. And what happens a lot of the time is we try to keep up with all of those messages. So we're like having a full conversation with somebody over Facebook and full conversation with somebody over LinkedIn or whatever the scenario is. So the one lane method is anytime somebody reaches out to you through one of those channels, you decide on your one lane. In my case, my one lane is email. So what I always say if somebody reaches out is email me at this address and then let's pick up the conversation from there. Because if I try to have conversations on all these different platforms, I'm always going to lose something. Hmm. There's always going to be the possibility that somebody asked me to do something on Messenger and then I'm suddenly, you know, I forget about that thing because it's not in front of me. Whereas your right. email is right in front of you. See, now, when, when I had learned that from you, I thought your message was that everyone should take it over to email, and that's what I've been doing. Yep. But I found it's like way more effective with everybody because, first of all, you know there's some email in your inbox. You can always search for yep. the topic or the person's name or whatever if you can't remember who, who it was, but you remember it had something to do with your sunflower painting. But if you're on Messenger, you can't search your Instagram messages. You And yep. I don't know about other artists, but I get lots of messages every day that are not from collectors. So that collector one can be way on the bottom. So yeah, it's real. And then especially if you want to move the needle forward with the other person, it's far more effective to make sure they're getting your messages. And one app that you shared with me I absolutely love. Can you guess which one it is? <laughs> I'm going to guess yeah. Sandbox, but I could be wrong. <laughs> no, no, I don't think that. No, it's the one where it tracks your. You can tell somebody has actually read your email. Oh yeah, email. I love it. <laughs> it's so stalkery. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah, he opened that. He saw it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, there's there's a, a lot of tools. There's a lot of tools that help you kind of see what's going on. Uh, and there's lots of technology out there now that if right. you are trying to figure out what's happening on the other end of your correspondence, there's a lot of tracking tools that will make that easier for you, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it is like, yeah, we, we said it is best to make sure you have the human connection, but with all the tech that we all live in, you still have to keep that organized, Yeah, especially since that's how people prefer to communicate these days is not through the telephone. That's true. <laughs> okay. All right. So before we wrap up, Mike, what do you see are the biggest mistakes people make when they're trying to form a new connection? So I would say one of the biggest ones is this aspect of never letting the other person talk. And in some cases, this happens in one-on-one, -on -one, but this can also happen via email correspondence or message. Nobody wants an email that is five pages long about the value of whatever it is that you're offering. Because it takes us time to read that email and it has no consideration for us as no consideration for the individual who's reading it and who might be able to help you or, or support you. So a lot of the time what I find, I call these steamroller meetings 
when I used to work on shows and I would have writers or directors come to me, they basically would spend the entire meeting just pitching and telling me about how valuable their show was or how great their show was. And they never asked me about myself, about what kinds of projects I was actually excited about, what I was interested in. And as a result, I was far less interested in whatever they had to offer. Yeah. So I think a big problem, I've often referred to this as asking blinders, where you get so obsessed with like asking for the thing that you don't pay attention to anything else that's happening with the other individual. I also don't like when I... and. I receive these types of pitches also, especially now that I'm getting into the world of podcasting. And before that, I was writing for Professional Artist Magazine. I'll just get an email. I'm artist and I do this and here's my website and here's my following and I'd like to collaborate with you. And the first thing I think of is like, who are you and why haven't you shared my post or comment? Like, I, I should already know who you are. Yeah. And there's people who I already know who they are because they they are these fans who will be commenting, oh, Bluebird, whatever. you know. And the, yeah. somebody will say, you will know me as at Bluebird Legacy. I was like, oh, that's Kim. So yep. I don't like when people try to pitch me without first trying to at least form the superficial relationship. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'd say that's one of the largest mistakes that that I see is that people will reach out just with the sort of like quick grab kind of mentality. And I even see it with the on the podcast side of things. It's somebody doesn't say why they liked your episode or what, you know, or what episode they, they enjoyed or what they like about your show. And, and they, they haven't just, left a review yet either. Yeah, and they, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they just say something like, I listened to your podcast and it's great. And you know that that's been cut and pasted. <laughs> and you're just like, you're just like, well, what was great about it? You know? And it's like, oh, my client, I think would be a great fit for your show because they've done all these things. And I'm like, I don't care what they've done. Like, I, like, I care about, are they a fit to have this kind of conversation? Are they going to give me an interesting conversation, uh, you know, on the, on the show? And I think that that's something, it happens all the time. And I always tell people that's something you got to be very, very careful of. The other thing that I think is super, super important that I would say 90% of people forget about is the importance of following up. And I, I've done talks in the past for teams where I've, I've literally said that there's two steps to blowing people's minds. Step one is do what you say you're going to do. Step two is do it promptly. Mm. And it's, just, it's, it's a simple thing. Somebody gives you advice, you let them know whether or not that advice helped you or supported you. Somebody, you're talking to them, you say that you're going to make an introduction, you don't wait five weeks or 10 weeks to make it, you make it after you've said that you're going to make it, you block out the time to do it. The number of people who don't follow up is so high that if you're the person who does, you stand out from most of the individuals out there. The bar is very, very low <laughs> when it wow. comes to follow-up. Wow, that's good to know. When you said follow-up, I, I, where my mind went was not that you actually do what you say you're going to do because that's not my problem. I thought you meant like the thank you note or 
I don't yeah. know, like what my grandmother taught me, right? A thank you <laughs> note, Miriam. So. Yeah. I mean, and, and that is, I mean, thank yous are very, very useful and they're very, very helpful. And if you take the time to make sure you're thanking people appropriately, it's a very powerful thing. But trust is built on when we do what we say we're going to do. Yes. And every time we don't do what we say we're going to do, that trust is eroded. Yeah. And it's hard to get that trust back. It's hard to build that relationship if people feel like they can't count on you to do what you said you're going to do. Right. I had to recently end a a relationship with a contractor. I won't say what kind because I don't want to give away anything, you know, but the person just stopped really, you hadn't done the work and stopped responding to me. And I felt like, you know, the boyfriend who stopped calling and they're like, well, should I break up with him? But yeah. he's not calling you anymore. What's even the point? So. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, then I felt like I did need to send a formal, you know, we're done here because I didn't want the person to then all of a sudden show up with the work and want to be paid. Yeah. Because right? at that point, I'd already moved on and found somebody else to do the work. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that was fun. I hope yeah. you had as much fun as I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love these shows where I'm able to talk in sort of like uh, talk about a different medium. You know, I, I think that there's a bit of an echo chamber with the entrepreneurship podcast for sure. Totally. Totally. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I just like, I really enjoy having it. Like the interview I just did before this was with somebody who runs a real estate podcast. Interesting. So it was all about like, we were sort of applying principles to like how it, how this con- these concepts would work with brokers and like all those different types of things. So I love that kind of stuff. Oh, so here's something I wanted to thank you for. So oh. during that workshop, mm-hmm. one thing that we did was that whole hedgehog concept with your thing. And uh-huh. you helped me really realize that every time I bring in art history, that that is something that's very unique to me that I do really well. Mm. And I've been doing this almost every episode. Like oh, very cool. Gertrude Stein or yeah. whatever it happens to be, like pulling pulling it in. Nice. So, yeah, so it was it was really helpful. And like I said, the, the whole thing with the feet, like, you know, you, you, you spend the whole day and it's like, oh, that the first few minutes, that was, yeah. that was <laughs> worth a thousand dollars. <laughs> it is such an interesting thing. Sort of like, I know. Like it's kind of hit like you. The art history was very, very important because that was really how to position yourself as a thought leader. It's like, okay, well, this is this is really how I'm different. Yeah. But yeah, but the tips and tricks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. No worries. Bye. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. Don't forget, if you love today's topic and you want to learn more, go check out Michael's podcast, Access to Anyone. I especially enjoyed his interview with Dory Clark because she shared how she hosts these Gertrude Stein-like dinner parties in New York in order to build her network. And then I also really liked the episode titled Getting Rid of Bad LinkedIn Hygiene. So you're going to find links to both of those episodes in the show notes, which is shulmanart.com forward slash 17. And we've also included a link to Michael's website in case you want to work more with him. I actually have taken his one day workshop. It was highly valuable. So I recommend that. And there's, there's no affiliate, by the way, this is just the link to his website. So thanks for listening. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the inspiration place on iTunes or Stitch or Google play or wherever you get your episodes. So you don't miss any future ones. 
when I'm speaking to other thought leaders and authors such as David Berkus, author of Myths of Creativity and Friend of a Friend. So that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have an amazing and inspirational day. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. 